I really didn't think it was going to be possible. But shout out to everybody that's been listening. A lot of people have been reaching out to me, letting me know that they really enjoy the podcast. So again, thank y'all for listening. Like, share, comment, give me feedback. If you want to jump on here, just send me a message, man. I'm all for it. I keep telling people that, like, if it's something you want to talk about, current events, sports, whatever, as long as I feel like I'm knowledgeable on the topic, then let's talk about it. Let's go for it, man. Like, this is an open mic. Like, I'm not getting paid for any of this, so this is just fun to me. And I think that's where I want to start because it's like this Last Dance stuff has got the world upside down. And I knew it was going to happen, but I really didn't think it was going to be to this this magnitude because it's like, man, we've been having this GOAT conversation for years, man, years. We didn't need a documentary to confirm who we thought was the GOAT and this and that. So it's like the fact that we're able to sit down and watch this every week and this same conversation just keeps popping up. It's just, it's mind blowing. And I, I'm kind of taking advantage of it because I, I love trolling people because I refuse to keep having this debate year after year after year. This is part of the reason why some of the sports groups and stuff that I was already in, I removed myself because it's like you start getting personal and you're talking bad to people, talking crazy. And man, I don't have time for that that type of energy. It's like me and you don't have to come to an agreement in regards to who we think is the, the best players or who's the all-time this and that. You don't have to agree with me, nor do I have to agree with you. But if we can have a intellectual conversation and I understand why you picked who you picked and you understand why I picked who I picked, then it just makes for, for great conversation. But once it gets to the point to where you're not trying to hear me. And once I pick up that you're not trying to hear me, I definitely ain't trying to hear you. So now it's just two bulls or two rams headbutting each other, going back and forth. And it's, it's pointless because you're not going to come to any type of agreement. So at that point, it's just you just turn around and walk away out of frustration. And now you done messed up your whole day, your, your evenings and stuff like that. And I'm a victim of that. So with this last dance stuff, it's like... I wanted to watch it because I like basketball. I never said I didn't like Jordan. Like, it's only a handful of people that legitimately did not like Jordan. I'm watching it because I want to watch it. So I'm not looking at it to pinpoint things that I've I found wrong with it. Because if you want to be technical, they haven't showed anything that we haven't seen already. It's like if you're really a fan of basketball or you really a fan of Jordan, like most of y'all claim to be, a lot of these highlights and a lot of these clips, we've already seen. I have the ultimate Michael Jordan uh, DVD collection. So the shot at North Carolina, him putting 63 on Bird, him scoring, uh, hitting the shot against the Cavs, his career high against the Cavs, the flu game, the all-star game, like all of this stuff we've already seen. So the fascination that I have with this last dance is we get the behind the scenes. We get the, the the conversations on the bus. We get, you know what I'm saying, like how the locker room really was during those times. And that's the part that keeps me entertained. I've already seen the 92 Dream Team highlights and how they talk about the practices and this and that. So I'm able to re-watch it and appreciate it for what it was during that time. But I don't need this for confirmation as to 
who the goatee is and who this and that. Like my mind is already made up. So I want to dive in to episodes five and six of The Last Dance. And this week I decided to do this by myself because again, I don't I don't I don't want to do the back and forth and who do I think is this and who do I think is that. And it's like at a certain point in time, you know what I'm saying, like it gets old. And we still got two more weeks of the last dance. And I don't want to keep having the same conversation. And again, you turn on TV, Skip Bayless, Shannon Sharp, Stephen A. Smith, all these guys, they're just having the same debates, same conversation. They're using the same arguments every single day. And I get it. I get it. We don't have sports right now. So these are the hot topics. This is something for everybody to sit down and watch and and discuss it. I mean, I'm sitting here doing a podcast about it. I have other friends that do podcasts and they're talking about it. We all have our own opinions on what we're walking away with after each week. So to me, it's like, again, my opinion is not going to go with the norm, so to speak. And I don't know if anybody remembers from the very first episode of this podcast. That's why I named it. I respectfully disagree because nine times out of 10, my opinion does not fall in line with the norm. And I don't care who you are. You're not going to convince me to change my mind. Like I, I give myself credit for, for being my own thinker, like free thought, like, (laughs) Kanye West like you know what I'm saying like I ain't gonna apologize for what I believe in regardless of whether or not the masses want to go at my head but um to me it's just like man it's like campfire stories dude and that's the only problem that I have with this because it's just like I honestly feel like the timing of all of this is kind of odd you know what I'm saying like they've been sitting on this footage and all this stuff all this time Mike's been retired from the game all this time and you just wait till now to randomly throw this out not saying about the you know COVID-19 period because I'm glad they moved it up but I'm saying like what made you just decide of all of a sudden now you're going to throw this out here and if you listen to the conversations in the documentary you get confirmation from Jordan he can't stand to be in the same conversation with other people. He always has to be one up on everybody. And in my personal opinion, I feel like this is what this whole last dance thing is about. It's like he wants to remind the world of who he was. His biggest fear is he's going to be forgotten. And of course, nobody's going to forget Michael Jordan. This is who we're going to be reminded of for the rest of our lives. I even show my son clips of Michael Jordan. My son has Jordan sneakers. He doesn't know who Michael Jordan is. He don't understand the significance of the sneakers and the posters down here in my basement. But I'm pretty sure as he gets older, somebody's going to show him. Somebody's going to tell him who Jordan was or the kids at school are going to tell him because these are all stories that are being passed down generation after generation. And that's my take on all of this. Like, campfire stories like we like he's a superhero to us and it's just like some people can't let it go some people can't accept the fact that things change new people come along new people are great 
new people have their own skill sets and new people set a whole different bar than whoever your quote unquote hero was at the time. And I've said this before and it's like, you know, some people grew up watching Dr. J. Some people grew up watching Magic, Bird. So for them during that time, those were their favorite players. Those were the goats to them. Dr. J, Julius Irvin, a lot of older men, grown men, Say Dr. J is, is what done it for them. They wanted to patent their game after Dr. J. You got people that was growing up in the early 80s who loved those Celtic, Laker rivalry matchups. I know a bunch of diehard Laker fans and Celtic fans, and that's all they talk about is how those, those rivalries was everything back then. So then you get this guy, Michael Jordan, and he took the world by storm, bro, and I get the fascination. You've never seen anybody do the acrobatics, the changing of the hands in the air and soaring and scoring buckets like it's nothing. You get the Gatorade commercials. You get the Spike Lee commercials with the sneakers. That's where I want to start at because it was amazing that they went back in history and showed how he became a member of Nike. That's something that I did not know, that he wanted to go with Adidas and... His parents made him take the the meeting with Nike. So for us to get that background, that's awesome. That's dope. And the rest is history. But it's like me being a sneaker. I ain't going to say a sneakerhead because we've had that conversation before. Go back and check out some of the other episodes where we talked about sneakers. But it's like I've always been into shoes. And for them to go back and, and disclose the history, and like I said, a lot of us, we already knew the history of the Jordan 1s and how many they sold and this and that. And I gave my opinion on the Jordan 1s. I was like, I've never liked the Jordan 1s. I've always said that. But some people are like, man, these are classics. These are iconic. How could you not like the Jordan 1 and this and that? And that's where I feel like some people just go along with what the masses tell them. If the masses have said that the Jordan 1 is an iconic shoe and it's the greatest shoe and this and that, then I honestly feel like a large portion of the people that admire that shoe are only doing it because other people tell them to. So when I heard Jordan say that when he went for his last game in the garden, that his feet were killing him and his feet were bleeding, but he didn't want to take them off because he was having a good game. And that shoe had some significance to it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he wore that shoe for a particular reason. And I get the reason for that. Like, that's just like, you know what I'm saying? I'm stepping in a time capsule. And I remember when I took my first trip to the garden, like, this is what I had on. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, it had meaning to it. But then when he's like, man, he even said it in the documentaries. Like, when you look at these and then look at the innovation and the technology compared to the 13 that he was wearing at the time, the Jordan 13, he's like, man, you can tell the big difference. Like, you can you can feel the comfort. You can feel how things have advanced. And that's the part that was fascinating to me. And I was just joking around. I, I made a status on Facebook, and I was like, see there, Jordan just confirmed how trash the Jordan 1s really were. And when I said that, it's like, you would be amazed at how many people just, oh, you a hater, how could you say that? And I'm like, dude, like, I have my own opinion. Like, I'm sorry that it doesn't fall in line with your opinion, but how are you going to get mad at me for voicing my opinion? 
And then I'd be dang if the next day on uh, Undisputed, that was a topic on TV. Like, were they surprised that Jordan kind of spoke in a, a negative tone in regards to his signature sneaker? And I'm like, man, why can't we just be honest? Everything has to be all oh, you just hating. All oh, you you saying this just to be ugly. You just saying this just because. And it's like, like, no, like I genuinely don't like the shoe. It's not comfortable. Point blank period. It's just, it's not a comfortable sneaker. So can't get mad at me. I mean, I know too many people and I'm in too many sneaker groups and they were talking about it as well. And it's like, dude, like I can only wear them for two or three hours max. And then my feet are killing me. And I'm like, so don't say that I'm a hater because you you feel the same way I do. It's just you're willing to ignore the fact that your feet are hurting just so you can turn a, a few heads or whatever. And I think that's something that all of us as sneaker lovers fall a victim of. Like our feet could be killing us, but as long as a few people are like, man, those kicks are dope. I love those shoes. Then mission accomplished. Now, don't get me wrong, that's not people seeking attention. You just got to understand as a, as a person that likes sneakers, like somebody saying, man, those sneakers are dope. That's a compliment. We, we have a passion for shoes, and each shoe has a different meaning to it. And sticking with the Jordan ones, like Band 1s, like that's an iconic sneaker for a reason. And for those that know the story, you understand why that's significant to the Jordan history as far as his sneaker line. So if you got on your band ones and you walking down the street and somebody's like, man, those is fire, like those is dope, then mission accomplished. You have on an iconic sneaker and somebody just complimented you. But to the average person, you just got on Nikes. Some people don't understand that. And that's why it's like, not to get too far off topic, it's like for me, I don't buy shoes for others' attention, for others' approval. I buy shoes because I like the meanings behind them. I like the stories behind them. And that could very well be the reason why people buy the Jordans. But again, for me, the Jordan 1 is just not comfortable. I don't care how good it looks on somebody else's foot, but to me, it's not comfortable. But like I said, I, going back to the documentary, it's like, man, I, I thought that was dope how they uh, went back and, and, and shared that, that story with us. And then again... I like the behind the scenes with Jordan and Pippen, and I, I believe it was Ron Harper. You know, as soon as the game was over, they sitting back relaxing, cracked a few Miller lights. And I was like, look at her. I was like, you know what I'm saying? Jordan is actually human. I love the aspect of the documentary that makes, makes him appear to be human. Because oftentimes, as role models, you know, whether you're a movie star, or musician, famous athlete, people expect you to carry yourselves in such a fashion where you have to do everything right because my kid is looking. Now, that's the part I don't agree with. Like, it's, it's not my job to be a role model for your child. Now, if your child is a fan of mine, then kudos to your kid. I'll try my best to display the best behavior or show them, you know, great character, but when it comes to my personal life and what I like to do to have fun, it's not my job to be that person for your child. And that's why I feel like today's athletes, it's too much pressure put on them 
because everybody thinks that they're not human. Like you hear these athletes all the time getting caught up in different little situations or adultery and stuff like that. Tiger Woods. And it's like, that just shows you that he's human. He's not doing anything that any other guy ain't out here doing. Like, no disrespect to married men. And I'm not saying all married men step out or nothing like that. But I'm saying for a regular man that commits adultery and steps out on his wife, well, guess what? Tiger Woods is the same guy. He's no different. He fell to temptation. Okay, so what? But once that came out, you know, the whole world flipped upside down. So it's like, to me, it's good to see you know, Jordan cussing up a storm and drinking a few beers or what I mean, we know now that he's retired, you know, he likes to drink or whatever, smoke his cigars. But I'm saying like as a player. And I'ma also give a shout out to the All the Smoke podcast with uh Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson and the Knucklehead podcast with Darius Miles and uh Quentin Richardson. Because I listen to those guys every week. Every new episode, I listen to it every single week. And they give you the behind the scenes of what it's really like in the locker rooms. And again, not to get too far off topic, but it's like I'll use the All the Smoke podcast. Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson are not ashamed to tell you that they smoke weed. And they've always smoked weed. And to us, as just the average fan or the average person that's watching sports, we think, oh, those guys are being drug tested on a regular basis. They're not smoking. They're not doing this and doing that. But come to find out, they smoke every day, just like anybody else that we know, like an average Joe who smokes every day. Like whatever your your niche is and whatever you do to get by in life, guess what? These NBA players are the same. So they disclose that they they smoke. They've always smoked. And they were saying that, you know, after these games, you go in the back, it's all kind of alcohol, all kind of, you know, food and stuff. But as far as alcohol, you can go back there and drink as much as you want to. And I forgot who they had on there, but they was like, man, you know, I couldn't wait to uh, end of the game. I know, you know what? It was J.J. Reddick's podcast. And J.J. Reddick was talking about how... um he has trouble sleeping after games and stuff. He would, you know, have some drinks. So he's like, you know, we go in the locker room, shower, get loaded as far as booze or whatever, jump on a plane. I'm drinking just so I can fall asleep on the plane. By the time we get in the hotel, three, four o'clock in the morning, you're recovering from a hangover. And then you got shoot around the next day and possibly a game that next night. So you're you're coming off a hangover. So now they're taking painkillers and they're taking shots and stuff to not feel knee pain, back pain. And that's something that I had no idea even existed. I mean, we knew about that as far as like football players, because it's such a major contact sport to where you have to suppress a, a lot of that. Because to me, I take my hat off to football players because do you, you not understand what you're going through constantly getting hit, constantly pushing and shoving like that's got to take a toll on your body. And then two or three days later, you got to prepare for the next team, for the next week. So they're constantly taking painkillers and stuff like that. But I, I never thought of it in the sense of an NBA player. But once I heard them talk about that, it made sense because I'm like, well, you know what, man? A lot of them guys, 
older, playing back-to-backs, or you might have four games in five nights, and <laughs> you're playing at a professional level, that's got to have a toll on your body, man. It's an 82-game season, so I get it. You know, it brought me back to and I was like, well, dang. I was like, you know what? J.J. Reddick is right. You go back there, and, you know, they got all the beer and everything that you need right there. So that was dope to see Mike and the boys, you know, sitting back, throwing a few beers back. But what also stood out to me was the pressure from the media. When the book, The Jordan Rules and stuff came out, you got a taste of Michael Jordan, in my opinion, at his most vulnerable state because you could tell that it had crushed him. And this documentary is highlighting how he's such a competitive person and he always wants to one-up somebody and he wants to be in control and in charge and let people know that he's the best in the room. And we'll talk about the little gambling stuff here in a minute, but it's like he wanted people to know that he's the best in the room. He's the best in the world. And his image to him was everything. He said that in regards to the sneakers as well. It's like, you know, the shoes is not what's bringing people to the stores to pick them up. It's my game. My game is what's selling sneakers. So he already knew the importance of his image. Once that's in question and being tarnished by the media, and like they said in the documentary, it's like, yeah, the media is going to love you for however long, but then once they get tired of you, that's when they're going to start digging and digging until they find something, especially when you're at the top of your game. Somebody's always looking for a reason to knock you back down with the rest of us. And that's sad to see, but we hear about it on a regular basis. We see it in everyday life, whether it's a regular nine to five and you got somebody that's, you know, in a good position and trying to climb and move up a ladder. It's always that one person that's just looking for something that's going to possibly knock you back down to where they are so they can try to step on you to climb up. It's human nature. So when all of this is going on and you saw Jordan's reaction to it, to where he's like, I'm not going to talk to the media for two weeks. That to me was kind of diva-ish. And you saw him like kind of crack. Like you saw a crack in his armor. Like, okay, we we know how to get to him. And I thought that was like important. It, it aided him so bad to where he goes to do a one-on-one interview with Ahmad Rashad and he's sitting there with the glasses and he's talking about the gambling and this and that. And it's like, okay, it really, really bothered him. And that to me, in my opinion, my takeaway from that was that shows you why we're getting this documentary. Because I honestly feel like with the praise that today's athletes are getting, he's sitting back feeling like he's finna be replaced, so to speak. Like his his name is not gonna be at the top of the top. So he felt the need to put this documentary out. So it's like that to me was was very interesting. I'll give credit to Charlemagne from the Breakfast Club. Because he made a post that night too. And he's like, dude, if he was folding back then like that, there's no way that he wouldn't have been able to handle the social media age. Because we would have had, TMZ would have had all the footage of him inside the casinos, him outside on the golf course, making all these bets and doing this and doing that. Like they would have had all the footage. And like you would have been able to see him do that firsthand before we even woke up the next day. TMZ would have had out there 
that Jordan was at the casino in Atlantic City gambling till 2 o'clock in the morning. So now he's got to face that as soon as he wakes up, going for shoot-around. Those are the first things they're asking him. But back then, it's like, until you picked up a newspaper, you didn't know that happened. Or until that final, uh, to that ESPN Sports Center clip aired, you didn't know that that took place. But you saw how it really bothered him to the point to where his teammates is kind of, they trying to lift him up to get through that. And I'm like, come on, man. Today's athletes, dude, it's, it's 10 times worse. So that's why I was just like, I don't know, man. For me, it's like you try to look at it with an open mind, considering that all of this has already happened. And all we can do is what if? What if Jordan was in today's time with social media? What if? You see what took place then, so you have to put yourself kind of like in the middle. Like, I'm looking at it from how he reacted to it. So now you got to try to, you know what I'm saying, picture that same reaction and use the events that's taking place today. And that's all you can do is just hypothetically speak, you know, what if this and what if that. And I honestly feel like, in my opinion, he wouldn't have been able to handle it. And that's where the whole LeBron, he's been able to survive <laughs> this long without too many situations. You hear the scandals about certain women coming out saying that he jumped in their inbox or he was flirting and this and that, in which, I mean, again, like I said earlier, everybody's human. He's human. It's not his job to be a role model for my kids or, hell, even for me, like, I don't need LeBron James to show me how to be a good husband. He's he's with his wife from high school. They got a family. He's always there with his kids and this and that. So, okay, I see what he's doing. I appreciate you for doing that. But I don't need him to be the example of a good husband or a good father. But it's like, overall, I feel like he's done a good job of not uh, letting his name be tarnished by the media. The only thing they can do is attack his actual game and how he plays and how he approaches it. But outside, he's almost flawless. I mean, we're not flawless. So that's what I'm saying, almost. But it's like with Jordan, <laughs> you could tell he he wouldn't have been able to handle it. Not at all. If they're not talking good and highly of him, he would have folded. And that goes to another part of this uh, series, the Portland series, when they were like Clyde Drexler and Michael Jordan are – the best athletes this season and this and that. And he's like, I was, I felt disrespected. I was upset that they were comparing me to him. And it's like, come on, bro. Like, man, that's sports. That's a head to head matchup. That's to sell tickets. That's to get people to read the headlines. Like that to me speaks on his ego. And that's my takeaway from all of this. And I know it sounds like I'm hating or whatever, but that's just my opinion. This whole docuseries, or whatever you want to call it, speaks to Michael Jordan's ego. He wants everybody to talk about him. He wants all the lights to be on him. And he's going to do whatever it takes to keep it that way. Like, to me, that's that's not a slap in the face. That's you going head-to-head -head with the other team's superstar. But yet, he took offense to that, in which I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. That might be his way of creating that competitive edge to help him go out there and, and do what he does. But to me, it's just, I don't know. Like, you ain't got to throw another man under the bus.
to help pick yourself up. And I'm saying this in regards to he's given the recollection of his mind frame at that time. So he's speaking on this as a grown man who's already went through the moment and he's still like throwing shots at people like me and Clyde Drexler are not in the same category. How dare you speak about Clyde Drexler in the same sentence as me when he easily could have been like, man, at the time me and Clyde was, you know what I'm saying? The best of the best. or we the best on each side of the court for each team? And they were trying to compare us, but I had to let him know that I'm, I'm still that guy. Like we're coming off a championship. So, you got to take it away from me. I'm not going to let you have it. But instead, it's like, how dare them compare him to me? And I'm like, to me, it's just like, that's the part that I don't like hearing. And so many people, oh, man, that's just his competitive nature. That's his competitive edge. He was such a killer. Like, come on, bro. Like, I'm, you're not going to convince me that, that that's normal. And that's why I tell people all the time, like, man, Mike almost come off as, as a psychopath, dude. Like, I understand not wanting to lose, but if anybody says like, yeah, man, I see you and Mike, man, y'all got the same this, y'all got the same, and he just instantly ready to to jump off the edge because you compared him to somebody like, nah, come on, bro. You're going to always be compared to somebody. Hell, they compared him to Dr. J when he first came in. So imagine Dr. J, oh my God, how dare them compare this little young, young punk to me and dude like, like, nah, to me, that's, that's bad for the game. And that's where I respect LeBron again because so many people want him to just step on all these young guys throats and every time he get on the court he's supposed to just try his best to just embarrass these kids and do this and do that but it's like nah bro I'm gonna help give you that confidence that you need to make it in this league like at the end of the day dog this is our career like this is what puts food on our table and clothes on our kids backs so if I embarrass you too much and your confidence goes through the floor to the point to where now you don't even have the confidence to play this game at this level. Next thing you know, man, you put out the league. So if I can uplift you and, like, come on, man. Hey, this is what you need to do every night. Do this and do that, do this. If you beat me, cool. If I beat you, guess what? Get in the lab, do what you need to do. I'll see you when we play again. But instead, it's like, no, you got to step on their throats. You got to embarrass them. You got to make them hate life. And it's like, nah, bro, like that that don't move me. I'm sorry. Like there's there's one thing in wanting to win. But then when it comes to just trying to humiliate people and make them feel like they beneath you, dog, like that's a whole nother level. And that's why I feel like when you listen to Mike talk, that's what he was on. And that's what he's still on. Like he people are beneath him. And that's why I'm going to go over to this. Isaiah Thomas thing real quick. Man, this this is 20 plus years ago, dude. And y'all still, man, Isaiah Thomas is a hater. Isaiah Thomas is like, Stephen A. Smith and them, like, that's why I can't watch that show no more because I feel like Stephen A. Smith is, he's an actor, dog. Like, one week he's praising Isaiah. Then the next week he's talking bad about Isaiah. Like, like just be yourself on there, dude. Like, speak speak your mind, but don't just keep going back and forth. I done heard him. LeBron James is the best player on the planet. Then when Kevin Durant's on the set, Kevin Durant is the baddest man on the planet. And I'm like, bro, you don't have to say all that just because he's in your face. Well, you don't have to say all that just because LeBron James had just won an NBA championship. Like, just say 
how you truly feel and leave it at that. But I feel like he he flips back and forth too much. But going back to the Isaiah Thomas thing, this man was asked a question. He answered the question. How can that make him a hater? They asked him who was the the top five hardest players that he ever had to play against. And I think he said, what, Kareem, Magic, Bird, then Jordan, and was immediately met with criticism. And that's what I'm saying. Like, today's times is like, you can't never be a free thinker. Like, you just got to think along with the masses. Otherwise, you're going to be ripped apart for having your own opinion, so to speak. And I can't even say that that's an opinion because that's that man's career. He played against them. So at the end of the day, he played against Kareem early when Kareem was was winning. He had to play against them when he was with the Lakers and he was winning. Magic was on that team. He had battles with Larry Bird and the Celtics. He had to beat them. The Pistons destroyed the Bulls. So at the end of the day, if he feels like Mike wasn't no competition, then guess what? Mike wasn't no competition. Like, can't tell that man who who the best player was that he actually played against. And I think that's that's what's wrong with people. And that's where I'm finna plug in early. My I respectfully disagree because it's like, oh man, he's just hating. Mike is the best player ever. It might like, okay, if that's to you, then fine, that's to you. But guess what? This man actually played against all of them. So if they asked him to rank them and he put Jordan fourth, then guess what? Jordan is fourth. Because what people ain't going to go back and do is actually go back and look, and they actually put it in the documentary if you go back and watch it. The Bulls had a losing record to the Pistons during that stretch. They had a losing record. So that means that the Pistons owned Michael Jordan. Yes, they they beat him that, that one uh, season to go to the finals. But prior to that, regular season, playoffs, the Pistons had a winning record. So can't say that that was my competition because we always won. So if me and Larry Bird kept going back and forth or me and Magic Johnson kept going back and forth and take in mind, Kareem was also on that team. Kareem was at the height of his career. Then that's who my competition was. So you can't tell that man, oh, you just hating about the dream team and this and that. And real quick, before I done this podcast, I was sitting there and I was watching an old Lakers versus the Bulls game. And this was the year that Kobe Bryant made his first All-Star team. And they played the Lakers right before All-Star break, the week before All-Star break. And if you go back and look it up on YouTube, Isaiah Thomas actually called that game. He was giving Michael Jordan praise, giving Kobe praise the whole entire game. Now, granted, that's his job. You can't sit down and do uh, commentary and hating on people, but he gave praise to Michael Jordan the whole time. And I thought it was actually amazing because he was saying things about Kobe, and that was Kobe's second year in the league, and he was spot on. If you listen to that, and now we can understand Kobe's career, and you listen to people talk about his game in his second year, I thought that was amazing. And that's kudos to Kobe. Like Even going back to the documentary, when they're sitting there like, dude, he's not going to wait for the game to come to him. He's going to make you play one-on-one. He's going to take the game to you. That was Kobe. And you got to appreciate that because watching that that game, Kobe was coming off the bench at the time. Soon as Kobe stepped in, he went at Jordan. He was going at Pippen. You could see that as a second-year player. You could see him going at those guys. And I thought that was dope. 
Because you don't see these kids doing that no more, man. These kids is nervous. Ja Morant got in. He had a good game against Kyrie this year. Zion held his own. But outside of those two names, it ain't no standouts in, in this past year's rookie class, in my opinion, because they're scared of the moment. I don't know if it's because they're too young or what, but Kobe was a high school kid. Kobe couldn't have been no more than 18 or 19 years old at the time. So for him to display that courage coming off the bench and him and Jordan going toe-to-toe, nah, that, that was dope. That was dope to me. And again, I don't, I don't dislike neither one of them. I like Kobe. Like Mike, I just didn't like their style of play. And it was on full display. If you go back and watch that game, you can pull it up on YouTube. It was like, as soon as Kobe got in the game, he was shooting, ready to shoot. Mike just launching, just shooting. And and the Lakers beat them by 25. MJ had his 30, 30 plus. Kobe had like 20 something. But it's like, those are the things that they're not going to show us. They're only going to show the good moments in Jordan's career. And that's why I hate the whole going back and forth with people because it's like, like my homeboy P said on last week's episode, he said he loves Kobe because of the eye test. So if I'm using my eyes and I'm looking at these games and I'm looking at the defense being played, I'm looking at the shot attempts that, that, that they're taking, and if I don't like that, then guess what? My eye test tells me that I don't like that. Can't get mad at me because I don't like that brand of basketball. It's five people on the court for a reason. I don't want to see you try to go one on five. I don't care if you winning, you losing, you win as a team. You lose as a team. Now, granted, Michael Jordan, he had the skill set to where it's like, you know what? I'm not waiting on the team. I'm going to do this on my own. And it paid off for him. I mean, he, he won six championships. But even when they discussed against the Phoenix Suns, nobody scored a point in the fourth quarter outside of John Paxson hitting that shot. And people, oh my God, he was a killer. He was, I'm like, nah, bro. Because guess what they would have said if Paxson missed that shot? He didn't have no help. He didn't have this and that. The same stuff that we say. But since he made it, oh man, he was a killer. He's a this, he's a that. And I'm like, nah, that's the part that frustrates me the most because it's like, how can y'all make the argument that the Bulls team was whack and he done this and done that. But if we say that Cavs team was whack or the fourth year Miami team was whack, oh, man, you just saying that because your boy couldn't deliver. You didn't like, no. Like, if you got Horace Grant, Scottie Pippen, Paxson was there for a long time. I saw Paxson make a lot of big-time shots. You can go all the way back to the year that uh, he put 63 on Bird and him. If Paxson don't make that tip in – the Bulls don't make the playoffs. The 63 game doesn't happen. Paxson hit shots against Portland. Paxson hit shots against Phoenix. So did Paxson save Jordan's career? Jordan had every point in the fourth quarter except for that three. I watched LeBron have 16 points in the fourth quarter against Miami before uh, uh, against San Antonio before Ray Allen hit that shot. But all y'all talk about is Ray Allen hitting the shot. So it's like for me, that's why I don't like having the argument because it's like I can make the same argument that you're making against LeBron, against Jordan. No, man, no, that's different. That's different. I'm like, no, see, now you're being biased. And that's why I'm telling you, like, I hate having the conversation because if we can't sit down with an open mind and you voice your your side and I voice my side, we can agree to disagree at the end of the day. But if you just going to refuse to accept anything that I say, but I'm supposed to listen to everything you say, then the conversation is 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 ridiculous. That's that's crazy to me. <laughs> Paxson hit the game winning shot. 
If he misses that shot, the Bulls lose. They go to a game seven. Like, come on. And the pass didn't even come from Mike. If you go back and look at that play, he was forced to give it up. And that's always been my question. Like, if he's already considered the best player in the world, how are y'all not trying to force the ball out of his hands? If you go back and look at those highlights, man, people are playing Jordan one-on-one straight up. And granted, during that time, according to the rules, you had to. Yes, they were able to hand check, but you had to play him straight up. If somebody else came over, you had to double team him. Otherwise, it was illegal defense. So he's going one-on-one. If he's the best player in the world, the GOAT to most, then he's supposed to hit those one-dribble pull-up shots. He's supposed to hit them fadeaways because he's not turning into help. It's not help coming to them to them turnarounds. He's jumping over the top of people and he's shooting. Like It's amazing to me how we can look at the same game and walk away with two different perspectives. I'm going to give kudos to Kobe because I watched Kobe. As soon as he catch the ball, the help is already there. He's still one dribble pull up with two people draping all over him. If you look at Mike and look at his highlights, he's on the side of the floor by himself. He's at the top of the key by himself. He's taking Byron Russell by himself. One dribble, pull up, game winner. Fist bump, uh, throwing out the fist. The last game, the last shot, he's on top, one-on-one with Byron Russell. Crossover, push off, whatever you want to call it, splash with no help coming. So it's like, to me, those are the little differences. Like, granted, you still got to make the shot. He was an excellent mid-range shooter. He perfected it. I give him that. But as far as degree of difficulty... I just don't see it. And that's always been my argument. Even if you look at that Portland game that they showed in this series where he was going against Clyde Drexler and he hit the seven three-pointers, six of them was wide open. The first one he hit, Drexler is kind of hand down, man down, and it was still at least two or three feet between them. So by the time Jordan pulls up and Drexler reacts, it's a wide open look. The second one they show, he's standing in a corner, wide open. He hit another one on, on the left uh Left side, he's wide open. Like, that's Michael Jordan, people. (laughs) You leaving him wide open? The most dangerous man on the court, he's wide open. But it's, no, man, Mike was a killer. He scored 35 and a half. It is, oh, you a hater. I'm like, dude, how am I hating when I'm just stating the obvious? I'm stating the obvious. But again, we'll get off of that because I honestly feel like it's, it's a double standard. It's a double standard. It's like the same things that you kill LeBron for, I've seen Jordan do the same exact things, but y'all heap praise on it. I've seen him pass in the last moment. I've seen him miss free throws to ice a game. But no, it don't matter. Six rings, six rings. Let's talk about this gambling, though. That, to me, shows you dude got a problem, man. So is that uh, his wanting to win and everything, or is that literally a problem? You having to testify in court. You out on the golf course and y'all betting to the point to where the rumor is you was a million in a hole. Um, first of all, you Michael Jordan, bro. How are you a million in a hole? How do you owe somebody a million dollars when you should have been able to just look? I'm going to wire this to you. You got all that Air Jordan money, Gatorade money, but yet you in a hole with somebody. That's the stuff that sticks out to me because I'm like, uh, is that one of them situations where you out here making all these bets, but you had no intentions on paying up or what? I don't know. That's something that that I feel like we'll never know the answer to, but it's like, y'all praise him for for gambling. If that's anybody else, bro, you asking them to seek help. You looking down upon this person because, man, all they do is gamble. 
But because it's Mike, it's okay. That's what I'm saying. It's, just, it's a double standard, dude. I remember Charles Barkley's name was in that gambling ring quite a few times, and people had negative things to say about Barkley. But it's like, Mike can do it, and it's all right. <laughs> Money laundering. Like, you out here with some, with some big-time people, and you don't connect the dots? Like, nah. Mike's hands ain't as clean as we think they are. But again, that's just my opinion. But... He gets a pass for it. He gets a pass for it. And that's why all I ask is for people to be consistent, man. You can't rip somebody apart for one thing, but because you like this particular person who's doing the same exact thing, you give them a pass. That's why I ask people all the time. It's like, you cause yourself being a, a Trump supporter, not to bring up Donald Trump, but I am. But yet, all the rumors, all the... I mean, just even the allegations alone should be like, you know what? This guy ain't who I thought he was. So, I'm going to have to look a little bit deeper into what's going on because his name keeps coming up or the way he talks down to women or people of the press, especially people of color. We ain't even going to take it down that road. But it's like you just sit here and, and degrade people and call them idiots and call them stupid and you're supposed to be the president of the United States. I remember when kids were supposed to look up to the president. The president had some kind of stature to where you wanted your kid to be inspired. <laughs> now, if you still sit at home telling your kid, man, look, you can be the president. If you grow up and do this and do that, you can be the president. Then you need to slap yourself right now because that ain't nobody that I would want my kids to grow up to be like. That's not very presidential, talking the way you talk and, and doing people the way you do them. Can't teach character, in my opinion. Again, I know I kind of got sidetracked and went off on a whole nother tangent. I said I wasn't going to make none of this about politics and stuff, but it ain't about politics. It's about character. But it's like, okay, you're a Trump supporter, so you're willing to dismiss all the allegations. You're willing to dismiss the way he talks and treats people. You're willing to dismiss everything because you're a fan, you support him. And it's the same way with Michael Jordan, in my opinion. And that goes for anybody. That's me with LeBron or the Beehive with Beyonce or whoever, Cardi's fan base. Like, whoever our favorite anything is, we kind of give them a pass for their wrongdoing, so to speak. In which, again, nobody's here to judge anybody. What they do is what they do. That's their business. I can... I can determine whether or not I'm going to be a fan of them. I got to have a, a some kind of moral compass and draw a line in the sand somewhere. But that's my thing. It's like nothing comes up on, on the radar in regards to, all right, man, Trump, you done done too much now. You setting a bad example. I don't know if I can rock with you on this one. And you, you keep riding with him. Jordan is the same way. You're going to keep riding when regardless of the gambling, regardless of this and that. You're going to keep riding with him, regardless of all the snitching. Now, Mike is a snitch, dude. You ain't going to tell me anything different. Mike is a snitch, dude. Like, this whole documentary is him pointing out other people's wrongdoings and what they done and this and that, and which, I mean, it's, it's all jokes. But it's like, again, there goes that double standard, especially in our community. Oh, we hate snitches. Anybody that rats out somebody else, they bad for business. But nah, not Mike. Mike can tell on whoever he wants to because that's Mike. But again, that's a whole nother conversation. I feel like with all the commercials, the Gatorade commercials, like Mike, the McDonald's commercials, the billboards, it's like Mike's been shoved down our throats 
for so many decades to where you you overlook all of that. It's okay. He made uh, Gatorade commercials. He made a music video with Michael Jackson. He can't be that bad of a person. He can't be. Then with the whole little Reebok thing, I didn't know that. That's something else that I didn't know. We've always seen the images of him when they were accepting the gold medal, and he had the flag over his shoulder. I just thought because he was, you know what I'm saying, captain of the team or one of the captains to where, hey, we're going to give Mike the flag, and it's going to be full display because the cameras is going to be on Mike. Never knew that it had anything to do with Reebok. So I guess I'll give him kudos for that because he's loyal to the brand. He knows that if people see him wearing Reebok gear, then it may drive up sales for Reebok. So that's dope. I think I think that was dope because he's like, are oh, you telling us that if we don't wear the suits, we can't get our medals? So here, I'll one-up you. I'll put this this flag over the, over the logo. So that, that was dope. But that, again, to me, he comes off as a get back person like oh you you doing this to come at me well guess what here's how i'm gonna get you back and that to me is like deep down i don't know man like again i'm i'm trying not to judge the man but if you if you dig deep into how he talks it's something there it's something there but again that's just my opinion i know a lot of people ain't gonna like it some people might have already turned this podcast off because it's just me talking and rambling but that's why i said again I didn't want to do the debating. I didn't want to do the back and forth. I just wanted to get my thoughts off. The Tony Kukoc thing. We heard the stories about how they wanted to lock Tony Kukoc up, and we saw all that. And to me, again, that's just like, is that competitive nature or is that jealousy? If I know that they're trying to draft a young up-and-coming player and the, the organization is trying to, you know, think highly of this player, he's bringing him in to help y'all. Like, how do you not look at it that way? He's bringing in up-and-coming talent to keep y'all young, so to speak. Now, granted, this was in the height of, what, 92? So you just now won a, your second championship. You're in your prime. So, man, we can make this team even more dangerous. Because by then, you know, they was already, you know, in thoughts of getting rid of Cartwright and all of that. Jordan always talked bad about Cartwright. So you knew he wasn't going to be around too much longer. You go out to try to embarrass this man. You want to lock him up. And he's supposed to be a future teammate. But like I said, again, people people applaud that. And to each his own, if that's, yeah, that's that's that competitive edge. That's that competitive nature. And so be it. Now, what if the Bulls saw that and was like, you know what? We ain't even going to take him. We going to cut all ties with him. And you might have just cost that man his career, dog. You might have cost that man putting food on his on his family's table, bro, for your own personal reasons. And that's why I'm like, dog, to me, it's like, man, that's you got to draw a line in the sand between competitive nature and just being a jerk. <laughs> and I'm glad that that second game, he, he held his own. And again, the rest is history. But it's like, okay, Pippen wasn't getting paid. I'm sorry. But like Pete and him said on the last episode, bro, like you signed that contract. Did nobody make you sign it? You signed it. So now that he's trying to go bring in somebody else and may possibly make more than you, you gonna try to shit on him? Excuse my language. That's 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 that hater mentality, dog. Like, nah. You wanna make him look bad so you can sleep better at night. It's garbage. And one more last thing about this last dance before I wrap it up. The Phoenix Suns series. <laughs> Jordan averaged 41 on Dan Marley 
Kevin Johnson, and I don't even know who else was in that position at that time. Who else was on that team? Barkley, Dan Marley, Kevin Johnson. Was Tisdale on that team? I don't even know. But it's like, oh, man, Jordan, he averaged 40. He, I'm like, no, he was supposed to. And even with that, it was something personal between Dan Marley and Krause giving him credit. And like, dog, like, are you are you that big of a hater to where you just but again, I get it. Everybody wants to cloud it with that's how he created that that drive, that hunger, where he just wanted to rip people's hearts out. Like, nah, bro, that sounds like a hater, dude. Anybody that that crowds like, you gonna try to embarrass them. You wanna try to go out and do this and do that. Like, man, I don't know. But what I wanted to talk about was Barkley. Barkley's take on all of this. He's like, I'd rather lose to Mike. I'm not ashamed to lose to Mike. I get that that's your man's. Like, I I, I get that. You know what I'm saying? Like, y'all been friends for a long time. And you don't want to say nothing bad about him. But what happened to this? I wanted to rip this person's heart out or rip that person's heart out. And it's like you lose the finals and you still walk away with, well, I, I, it's Michael Jordan. Like, no, nah, that whole era was supposed to have been killers, right? That whole era was supposed to have been grown men and they wasn't scared of nothing. And then I'm like, nah, bro, like you just going to accept defeat like that? And even to this day, y'all kill Isaiah Thomas for hanging on to that, that edge, that grudge. But you love... Charles Barkley and Magic Johnson and Larry Bird because they heap praise on Jordan. And I'm like, dog, those are his peers. Like, they're best friends off the court. Of course, they're going to ride for, for their guy. You hear Barkley all the time pissing on LeBron and pissing on these new players. He's part of that old generation, bro, and we're all guilty of that. Whether it's music, movies, or anything. Like, how many of these new young music artists... Do you hear these old heads like, man, their music is trash. These new uh, artists is garbage. They ain't talking about nothing. They ain't doing like, man, that's that, that's that old man mentality. It's like that fear of being replaced. You scared you're going to be replaced. So you got to try to do something or say something to make yourself feel good. And that's where I feel like we're at right now. It's like so many old heads don't want to let go of their hero, Jordan. They don't want to let go of the Gatorade commercials. They don't want to let go of the Spike Lee, Air Jordan shoe commercials. They're scared that that's going to be replaced. So you got to piss on the new players. They wouldn't make it back then. LeBron and Durant, them guys, they wouldn't survive back then. And I'm saying to myself, I'm like, based on the defense that I'm looking at, bro, they're going to be better. You can't tell me that Kevin Durant would not survive in the 80s. Because first of all, he don't even have to go inside to get knocked down and get clubbed upside the head. He's bringing Robert Parrish and him out in the middle of the floor. He's bringing Bill Lambert out in the middle of the floor and cooking them, pull-ups from deep. And like everyone has said, they didn't even take three-pointers back then. The three-point shot wasn't even considered back then for real. But you got a seven-footer that can pull up from anywhere on the floor. What are you going to be able to do with that? And you can't uh, load up and zone up on him or do this and do that. So having to go one-on-one with Kevin Durant, 
or going one-on-one with LeBron, stop it. Stop it. And that's when I'm just like, man, you, I can't have a, a, a realistic conversation with some people because it's like you living in a, in a, in a fantasy world. You're not going to tell me that the guys that made it then who are inferior to the people that you're saying that can't make it, not only talent-wise, but physically, it don't even make no sense. But like I said, I'll, I'll play the crazy person. I done been in so many arguments in the last three weeks to where it's crazy, bro. Like, sometimes I don't even like getting on social media because I know somebody going to comment and say something crazy that's going to send me over the edge, and I'm trying my best not to react to it. Because, again, like I said, people just don't want to see their heroes be replaced. You got to hang on to it. LeBron got these Jordan fans boxed in the corner. They They don't know what to do. But real quick. It's an interesting topic going on, and hopefully I set this up to where uh, next week we can touch on it. But I want to talk about the G League situation, where a lot of these top prospects are going straight to the G League from high school and skipping college. And it's been a lot of conversation about it. I've seen where John Calipari kind of voiced his opinion, Penny Hardaway, voiced his opinion. He feel like that's tampering and, and you're messing up the NCAA. And I want to have that conversation with somebody because I can see both sides of it, but I want to talk about the pros and cons of these players jumping straight to the G League and accepting this money. I think the, the one kid, I think he signed, what, maybe 500000 On the bright side... It's like, okay, I'm straight out of high school. I already knew that I was basically going to be a one and done. And then I'm going to get my money. But now I can get some money. Half a million dollars is is a significant amount of money. And I can still wait one year and then get millions. So from the aspect of a kid, they're going to get the money. But at the same time, it's like if they go to the G League now, granted, you get ready to play against other grown men, men that are hungry. I don't necessarily say grown men because it'll still be other young, talented kids that's trying to make it or whatever. But it's like, as the top recruit in the country, you coming into this with a target on your back. And if you don't live up to that expectation in the G League and these scouts is coming to look at you, you might have tarnished some of the money that you was supposed to make or was predicted, projected to make. So it's like, how many kids is going to jump to the G League but then get exposed because they don't necessarily have all the skills that they need to be a professional yet? So, yes, you're only going to college for one year, but you're still getting that hands-on coaching and that hands-on playing against a little bit better talent. You know what I'm saying? Like, you still playing against grown men, especially teams in college that have uh, juniors and seniors. You know what I'm saying? Like, from a physical standpoint, yes, you're, you may be more talented, but physically, you may not be able to dominate that. So you kind of get a taste of it in college, And then once the college season is over, 
you got a whole summer to know what you need to work on. But I feel like if you go to the G League, it's like, all right, well, you here now, buddy. It's either you got it or you don't. And if we see that you don't, it's going to hurt your draft stock. Whereas I think I'll just stick with Kentucky. It's like we've seen some top recruits come in and they really didn't live up to those four or five stars that was beside their name. So guess what? You came back to school for a second year. I'll use P.J. Washington. I think P.J. Washington benefited from coming back to school, and that helped him tremendously in regards to his draft stock. So how is this G League thing going to work where, okay, I'm putting my name in the G League before the draft, and if I kind of don't pan out to be what I'm supposed to be, then what? And I think that's the part that people are not talking about, and that's why I want to have that conversation. And not only that, it's like, what kind of message are you sending? Yes, I understand if a kid is talented enough to where he can go straight to the league and get paid, then he should be able to get paid. But now you're forcing your hand, and the NCAA is going to have to compete with that. So now they're trying to, you know what, all right, y'all can have endorsement deals. Y'all can have the ability to make money off your your name. But what about football? What about baseball? What about track, the rifle team, soccer? Like you open up a whole can of worms and it's like when you look at your UKs or your Ohio States with football, like those are the powerhouse schools. So the football team brings in the majority of the money for Ohio State. So they can afford to pay those players. Kentucky can afford to pay the top players because they generate the most money. But what about your uh, Western Kentucky, Eastern Kentucky, Murray State, your UT Martins? They ain't going to have the money to compete with that. So now the best kids are either going to go to these top schools that can offer them the most money or you're going to go straight to the G League. And now I feel like that's bad for the game because if all the top kids go straight to the G League, you got a watered-down NCAA, which is going to cause people to stop tuning in as much. And then if these kids don't pan out, the NBA is just going to chew them up and spit them out. So now you done wasted your career chasing money. And that's what we talked about in the last podcast, too. It's like, man, it ain't even for the love of the game no more. Everybody's trying to chase money. And that's something that I don't agree with. And hopefully we can talk about it next week. So, again, appreciate y'all listening. Like, share, comment. If y'all want to touch on something that I might have said in regards to this Last Dance uh, series, feel free. Let me know. Reach out to me. We'll jump on this mic. Again, I just didn't feel like doing the whole back and forth thing. Um, I wanted to talk about the point guard stuff with Kendrick Perkins and him putting Curry in his all-time greats. I thought that would have been a, a great little topic to follow up on considering that I made some comments about Steph Curry on the last episode, but hopefully we can have that conversation. But again, like, share, comment, give me some feedback, man. What What is it that I need to improve on? Or what is it that y'all want to want to see in the future? Like, let's, let's get this out there. Appreciate y'all, man. We out. No competition. I feel so high. I feel so